We will take a break from the book of Ephesians. We will begin Ephesians chapter 3 next week. We will look at the single most comprehensive text dealing with the resurrection and Holy Scripture. I was reading through John's Gospel this week. If you take all four of them, it's, I see the personalities of the authors. You see Matthew's description of the crucifixion. You see Luke explaining the crucifixion, the witnesses that were there and who was there. Uh, same thing in Mark. <laughs> and, you know, his mother is there and this is your new son and, and you, all of the things that go on with it. And John says, they crucified him. That's it. And I thought, wow, okay. That's what you call to the point. I, I look at the uh, resurrection. Perhaps my viewing of it is a little different than many. I'll explain that in a few minutes. When I look at this and I start thinking about it, I've got to be honest with you, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I've never seen anything raised from the dead. All right? But I do emphatically believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I do emphatically believe that we shall be like him. In your outlines there, you'll see that I have 1 Corinthians 15, I was going back through, some of you were with us when we went through the letter to the Corinthians, <laughs> and I was kind of astonished that I went back through my sermon notes for 1 Corinthians 15, and there were 39 messages on this chapter. So I hope none of you are hungry. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. And I thought about it for a while, and I thought, you know, I don't know that 39 messages do it justice. So let us pray and jump headlong into the resurrection. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, but in you is all knowledge. Father, as we look on this, in this day, in this age, with so much skepticism, with so much division, with so much arrogance running around, Father, I ask that we would humbly bow before your book and be overwhelmed at the person of Jesus Christ and that the resurrection is the greatest event in existence. Because that proves to us who live this day, the penalty was paid. Help us, Lord, to be overwhelmed by that truth as we look with longing at your coming. In Christ's name, amen. I'm just going to break this up in three parts. The proof, the problem, and the power. I'm not going to do with all of it because it's like I said, there was 39 messages when I went through this. I believe that your patience would run thin. When I became a Christian, I was not raised in the church. Our family celebrated Christmas. 
And we did usually do some odds and ends at Easter, which involved chocolate. And I'm still not sure what the egg thing is for, but we would do the eggs and the chocolate and, and, and things like this. That was weird. Why the resurrection means so much to me is that 30, 36 or 37 years ago, I got mad at God. Okay, that's not really a healthy thing to do, but I managed to get mad at him. And so I set out on a task to disprove the Bible. Okay, and I make jokes every once in a while that I'm still trying. I read it every day, and I will find the contradiction. It's got to be in there because everybody tells me they're in there, and so I shall continue to read. But when I was going to disprove Scripture, I said to myself, common, rational thinking, start with the easiest what is the easiest thing to disprove in Holy Writ? That's easy. The resurrection. I mean, it's, that just don't normally happen. I mean, it's not like a, an ongoing thing. So that should be simple to disprove. Oh, was I in for a, a mess. Because it dawned on me early that God actually used Jesus' enemies to prove the resurrection. And that's odd. The resurrection means more to me because I also know that Christmas, I'm not sure where we came up with the 25th of December as Christmas. I can tell you what everybody wants to tell me, but I can tell you something that they're not thinking about. The only time that a shepherd was out with his sheep is when they are lambing. Okay? You know when that is? In the spring. So whether Christmas, the birth of Christ, was actually on the 25th of December is a bit of a problem. I also know this. If you remember why Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, why did they go? The census. Okay? And that's where you get your taxation from. From the Roman governments. You know what date the Roman government drew these all together? April 15th. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> so probably Jesus was born in the spring. But the thing that I can be emphatic about. Is that the resurrection was on Passover weekend. The same as what we're doing right now. Friday at sunset was the beginning of Passover. Okay? That was the beginning. Why? Remember? They wanted to get his body off the cross before Passover. Okay? Right? Well, that just happened. Friday evening was Passover. Three days later was the resurrection. So the resurrection actually has more proof to it. The other thing that I look at, we celebrate a whole bunch of people's birthdays. 
Lincoln's, Washington, Martin Luther King. Let's go down the list. Everybody's got a birthday and we can take a day off with it. But there's only one that we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the resurrection means a little more to me than maybe some. But I share that because um, in verse 3 of chapter 15, he says, I deliver to you as of first importance. Whenever I read in the scripture that this is of first importance, it's like God saying, uh, yo, knucklehead, I'm talking to you. I want you to understand this. Starts off, I may know to you, brethren, that the gospel which I have preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand. You receive the gospel. If you're his, then what? You stand. By which you also are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay. Now, if you take a text of scripture and you don't want to believe it, then your belief is in vain. And let's be realistic. In, in the 2018, the resurrection is... How do you do that? You know, I, I listen to people say, well, how did God do that? How did God do this? How does God do that? Well, if he can raise the dead, I'm thinking that he doesn't really have a lot of problems. And for Christians, that's what we long for, our bodily resurrection. Should be what we long for. That sets the stage for verse 3. It says, I deliver to you not as of first importance. I received that Christ died for our sins. And then his first evidence is what? According to the scriptures. The scripture says it was coming. Isaiah chapter 53 says it was coming. It's all over the place. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. And the scriptures, Amos talks about it. Amos? Yeah, Amos talks about it. All of these people are talking. And you know what? They weren't sure what it was. It wasn't like resurrection was, you know, well, tomorrow's the resurrection. Who's going to raise from the grave tomorrow? They dealt with the same kind of death that you and I deal with. We bury them. We pray that they are saved. If they are saved, then we know we'll see them shortly. And we leave it at that. And, you know, people say, well, how can you believe that? You can't believe some of the stuff that I have to deal with and I have to ask, how do you believe that? Yeah, I believe in it. Why? Because it was according to the Scriptures. And then he wants to make sure that they understand that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to... To the scriptures. So the Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand the resurrection is according to the scriptures. Now understand something. At the writing of 1 Corinthians, there is no New Testament. So the scriptures would be the Old Testament. 
So according to the Old Testament, Messiah would be raised from the dead. Okay, so we have it from the Scripture. So we, the Scripture is the Word of God. The Scripture is truth. And it says Messiah would be raised from the dead. No problem. Okay, but how many people, have you ever heard this? Well, how do you know that the Bible wasn't written by just men? Well, you know what? It was. God used men carried by the Spirit to write down what He wanted written down. But God's not satisfied with that because He says there, and He appeared to Cephas. You know who Cephas is? That's Peter. He appeared to Peter. And you can read that in the gospel record. Yep. And I know that it had to happen. You know why I know that? Peter, when they arrested him, denied him three times. Three times. Because he didn't want to get dealt with what they're going to deal with Jesus. Now, he hung around. God got to give him that. Everybody else just disappeared. But Peter hung around to see what was going to happen. But he was hiding. And when the little girl said, aren't you with the Galilean? He says, no, I never. And he took an oath. I never knew him. Okay. But then when the resurrection occurs and he sees him, he's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He goes into the very temple of the people who had just crucified Christ and says, you men of Israel who murdered Messiah. Now, where did that bravery come from? I'm not going to fight for you when you're standing right there beside me. But all of a sudden now I'm going to get right in your face. They arrested him and John, and John, they, they said, uh, who should we listen to, the words of men or the words of God? And they beat him and released him. And you know what happened when they released him? They had been beaten for proclaiming Jesus Christ. They walked out singing praises that they were worthy to suffer for Messiah. Now listen, something had to happen that these guys all of a sudden had backbones. First to Cephas, then the twelve. That means everybody got to see him. All of his disciples saw the resurrected Christ. Kind of give him a different focus. Because you know what? They know what happened. You don't get off of that cross alive. The crucifixion was designed by Roman law to send a message. A very loud and clear message. It was not an efficient execution. It was very inefficient. They wanted you to set out in the sun in front of humanity, butt naked, until you suffocated so that everybody else would say, I don't think I want that. Okay? And yet the twelve took on the world took on the world, even knowing the penalty of crucifixion was out there. After that, he appeared to 
more than 500 brethren at one time, most who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Most of the 500 witnesses are still alive. Those that have fallen asleep are hanging out with him now. All right, so I've got 512 witnesses. I'm thinking between you and me, wouldn't that work in a court of law? Just an idea. And then to see the complete change in these people. That they're willing. Yeah, I'll die. Why? Because I saw him raised from the dead. And he told me I get to do that. And you got to remember, there's this guy still wandering around town. Had two sisters. His name was Lazarus. I mean, that guy there has to be annoying. What's he afraid of? What are you going to do? Kill me? Oh, darn. Then he appeared to James. Now, now you're getting really particular. That's his half-brother. You know how relatives can be. Okay, relatives can be very skeptical. You know, and mom always liked Jesus more than he did me anyway. Right? But he appeared to James. James was the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. I was reading some other readings about James. They called him Camel Knees. He spent so much time on his knees in prayer that he had calluses on his knees. And I thought, you know what? If you're Jesus' half-brother and you've seen him resurrected and you understand what you're here for, you probably would have calluses on your knees. At least. And then to all the apostles. All the messengers. Okay? They've all seen it. I mean... I, you guys know me well enough to know this is my passion, this book. Okay? If it's not in here, you know, okay, that'll work. Okay? But this is it. And if it contradicts this, then you're wrong. (laughs) Okay? It's just that simple for me. It's that simple. So if someone came and said the resurrection is based on Scripture, I'm going to, amen. But now all of a sudden, I've got all of these witnesses. I mean, he just lists off 513 of them. And then all those who got sent out. That's the apostles, messengers, sent forth. And then he says this in verse 8. And last of all, to one untimely born he appeared to me also Paul is on his way left left Jerusalem with arrest letters for Christians in Damascus he's on the road to Damascus I've actually walked on that road because there's only one road and it hasn't ever changed and he was on that road and Jesus said yo I'm talking to you that's the Brooklyn Jesus. Okay. We got his undivided attention. And I thought, yeah. Uh, I was in the council that called for your crucifixion. Now, I wasn't no heavy waiter. I was in the back going, yeah, man, he's causing problems. Do something. 
Remember, he was there for the first Christian martyr. Stephen was stoned. He sat and held the coats. And then to have Stephen's boss show up on the road to Damascus, that's one of them, that's like a major uh uh-oh. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's like, whoa, I'm not just wrong. I am like way out there wrong. And he appeared to me. He appeared to me. I am the least of the apostles. I am not fit to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. And I thought, you know what? If you read through the New Testament, Paul's letters, okay? If you read Paul's letters, there's a difference between his and John's and Peter's, okay? That you you will not see. You will always see in Peter's and John's letters, he, they refer to him as Jesus Christ. Okay? Yeshua Christa. Okay? Alright? It's actually Yeshua Messiah. Okay? So it's, it's Jesus Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Alright? Always, it's always that way. Christ, Jesus. Or Jesus Christ. But Paul changes it. He calls him Christ Jesus. See, the original 12 knew him as Jesus first and then witnessed Messiah. Paul knew him as Messiah first. And Jesus was when he was in the desert studying with Jesus as his tutor. Okay? Why? And I work harder than all of them. Yeah, I bet you did. To sit there and think, you know what? Indirectly, the blood of the first Christian martyred I was involved with. Jesus sought me out on the road to Damascus on my way to arrest Christians. Yeah, I bet he did. Put a little overtime into the Lord. Just just a tad bit. I mean, let's be realistic. He confronted Peter when Peter was being a hypocrite, when he would eat with Gentiles until Jews showed up, and then he wouldn't eat with no Gentiles. And Paul confronted him. Alright? Yeah, I, I can say that. Yeah, you probably did. Whether then it was I or they... So we preach, and so you believed. Okay? You know what they preached? Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Crucifixion says he died for the penalty. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Okay? He died, his innocent blood, for the forgiveness of sin. It was accepted because he didn't stay in the ground. He got out of the ground. Okay? So, 
there's the proof. 12 through 19 is the problem. Okay, here's the problem, and it exists today. All right, I, I actually had uh, some dealings with it this week, and I thought, how, how ironic to have to deal with whether the resurrection was made up, okay, on what we call the Passion Week, between triumphal entry last Sunday till his death on Friday. I had to deal with this, and I thought, it's 2018, and you've got people who take the name Christian and they don't believe in the resurrection. Well, Houston, you, that's a damnable problem. That's, that's not just like a oops. So here's what it is. Now, if Christ is preached, amen, that he was raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, listen, I dealt with a Christian or so-called Christian this week. said there is no resurrection. And you're like, wow, man. (laughs) Uh, I guess. But see, it all comes down to this. Is this book what it claims to be? So how do some say that? Then he he says, listen, he, he could have stopped right there. He says, listen, I've got witnesses. I saw the resurrected Christ. The scripture says there's a resurrection. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection? Then he gets theological. Watch what he does. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith. Also, also is in vain. You know what that means, right? There's no salvation. There's no salvation. I know a whole bunch of people have died. But none of them saved me. The only one that can save you is the one that was raised from the dead. That our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. See the problem? Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. We're telling you guys, this is what God said. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ. If he didn't raise Christ, then we're lying. We are false witnesses of God. Whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Seems simple. It's kind of funny because I was pulling all this together when I met with this individual this week. And I thought, well, you just walked into a hornet's nest, didn't you? He's like, this is a bad dog to knock on, buddy. I'm telling you. Well, where is that in the Bible? Well, it's right there. <laughs> Uh, 
then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we had hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most pitied. We believe that we're going to be raised from the dead. If it didn't happen, Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then we're pitiful. You're cruising along going through this stuff for no apparent reason. I remember hearing a guy preach one time. He said, if you're not going to come to Christ, then you better enjoy your sin. And you better just get as much of it as you can. Because you'll spend eternity paying for it. And I was like, are you allowed to preach that? I'm not. Now, see, I'm using his. I'm not preaching that. Okay, I'm, I just want you to know, make it square. Terry told us to go out and send our brains out. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. But I remember him preaching it. Then you sit back and you think about it and you're right. But that's the same thing if there is no resurrection. Why? That means that you and I have to pay the penalty of sin and it is death. Okay. And you know what? I don't know why people don't believe that. None of us get out of this thing alive. I mean, it sits there and looks at all of us. You don't know when it is. You don't know when your time is up. And when you cross into it or you bump up against it. You know, I'm at that age now where they think they need to poke and prod me all the time to make sure I live longer. And I filed a complaint about it, but it's not really getting me anywhere. But I, I don't understand that. You guys think up these really sick ideas because you want to make me live longer. I told my doctor that one time. I said, I don't care how long you want me to live. I'm not interested. And he said, what? I said, listen, if he wants me out of here tomorrow, I'm in. And I'm going to ask him why I wasn't today. Why? Because of the resurrection. You know, the, I've, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I remember <laughs> Mickey Mantle, I, I kind of hold to this one quote of Mickey Mantle's. Had I known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Okay? And there's times when I get up and think, ow, ow. I've got this thing going on with my hands now. I've been working with my hands and, and now all of a sudden they just pop and crackle and hurt. And I mean, I don't have to do anything. I can just look at them and ow, they hurt. And, and I'm sitting there going, well, you know, you got a few miles on them. Come on, man. So getting rid of this body, does that really bother me? Why? I get a resurrected body. One that has no ability to sin. One that cannot be tempted. One that can't sin at all. Yeah. If that's not true, then you know what? You should pity me. You should pity me. But if that ain't true, we who believe should all be pitied. So let's look at the power. 50 through 58. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. See what I mean? You know, it's kind of weird. If you take this body right here, right now, it can't exist in heaven. It can't. 
Why? Well, heaven is the complete absence of sin. That is not this body. <laughs> I mean, I'm willing to admit it. You guys may not want to, but that's all right. I, I know what I'm capable of. And I know when I get up in the morning and my hands and my knees hurt, the first thing isn't, oh, I praise you, Jesus. Here we go. No, it's like, oh, God, why did I wake up? Now, you guys can look at me and say that that's bad, but I got news for you. You're all going to cross these thresholds that I did, and you're going to say, yeah, man, I'll tell you what, I've been rode hard and then shot. Okay? But he says here, this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, Jesus has already told us that we are heirs to the kingdom of God. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Now grab this one here because I just like this. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. You know, I (laughs) I listened to this seminary kid one time. I was not a seminary kid. I, I, I listened to him and says, I don't need to be one of those. And they said, well, how... How, how did Peter on the Mount of the Transfiguration knew that Jesus in his unveiled glory, that that was Moses and Elijah? How did he know that? Well, they had a little thing that says, welcome, my name is Moses. And the other guy had a name that said, my name is, it's not hard, give me a break. If you're going to go to heaven, you're going to know as God knows, then guess what? You know who they are. We will all be changed. That still freaks me out. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love because faith and hope will no longer be needed in heaven. But then, you know what's really cool about this? Is the next verse, verse 52. In a moment. Okay. Let me define you a moment, Paul says. In the twinkling of an eye. That's a moment. That's like, I don't know what a twinkling of an eye is. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And it happens in the twinkling of an eye. That is the power of the resurrection in every Man, woman, and child have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be changed at the last trumpet. The last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And it makes sense because he makes a statement there in verse 53. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. Your soul, your spirit is immortal right now. Okay? But the container that that's in is not. All right? The doctors have ordered me, I have to go to the gym. Um, I was going three times a week and they told me that you need to do four and then 
All right, okay, I finally got to four. And he said, but you need to be doing five. And I was like, you need to make up your mind. Okay? So I have to go to the gym five days a week. All right, I go before the sun comes up. Then that way I can think it was just a bad dream. But I watch these people that are in there and the things that they do and what they eat. And I don't want to live as long as you if you got to do that. Because I don't know who thinks this stuff up. And the only reason that I do it is I make uh, a living with my eyes. And I've got to do everything I can do to make my eyes last as long as this stupid container lasts. Okay, because uh, you guys seen me read and things like that. You don't want him learning Braille. <laughs> Just trust me on that. Okay? And yet I watch people who do all of this stuff to prolong what? And if they, if they add a year, what is that to infinite? What is it? It ain't even a dot on a timeline. Perishable must put on imperishable. Immortal mortal must put on immortality. I need a container that can hold my immortal soul. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, uh, Hosea thirteen fourteen. Death is swallowed up in victory. Swallowed up in victory. My best man, I did his funeral a number of years ago. I knew him a long time, long time. We used to, we used to misbehave together, and we were very good at it. Um, almost borderline professional misbehaviors. And uh, <laughs> I remember one time we met in Franktown. I was riding an old rigid Harley. And rigid is just what it means. It's rigid. And we decided Sturgis was going on. We decided we wanted a t-shirt from Sturgis. We took off and rode all the way up to Sturgis, grabbed some t-shirts, uh, wandered around and rode all the way back to Franktown. We did it in the day. The next day, I couldn't hardly walk. <laughs> and I can't think. We did that in the name of fun? What was we thinking? That was my buddy. He was preparing to die. He had a multiple complications uh, of the time that he had spent in uh, Vietnam. And he's getting ready to die. And he was going in for this last procedure, and the doctor told us that if he survives the procedure, then he'll recover. If he does not survive the procedure, it's all over. So it's me, him, and his wife. His wife is a non-believer. And uh, he looked at me, and he gives me that goofy grin of his, and he says, Well, you're my pastor, they say. Could you pray for me? I said, well, Ed, what do you want me to pray? He says, pray that if I can't come back and serve the church in the capacity I do now, that I just go on to heaven. 
his unbelieving wife is standing right there beside him. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, dude. That means you get out of here before me. And that's what I said. And I said, I don't want no part of that action, man. <laughs> Leave me here. So I prayed and God took him home. See, his perspective. I know how much he loved his wife. Oh, golly. How I wanted to see her saved. But he, I also seen him one morning. I went over to pick him up to bring him to church because he was doing morphine so much that he was afraid to drive. And I was, I'd pick him up on and bring him to church on Sunday. So I stopped by to pick him up and I banged on the door and nothing happened. So I opened the door thinking, uh-oh. And I go, and he's still in bed. And for him to set up in bed, he would break out and sweat from the pain. He says, I can't go today. Hand me his offering. He says, take this and maybe this will pass. And I thought, he's in that much pain. He wants to continue to serve in the body of Christ or he wants to go on to heaven. And I thought, but you're still leaving me here. And, you know, we've been through some stuff together, dude. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Listen, it, if you have a loved one who dies, it hurts. If that loved one is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's kind of funny to watch how quick that that hurt moves on to peace. My mom buried two husbands. <laughs> I listened to all the psychobabble people trying to say, well, she's not grieving. I said, yeah, she's grieving. Yeah, but she's not a babbling, baffling idiot. Oh, well, I guess that's the definition of grieving. And I said, listen, if you expect to see him again, it's just a temporary separation. I mean, it, it, it isn't that it doesn't hurt. Paul told the Thessalonians, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will be changed. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. You understand you're under grace. You're not under the law. The law said you need grace. The law was giving to show you, you can't do this. But I have. And when Jesus was on the cross yelling, Tell, Telestai, it is finished. It's not in the process, it's done. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore my beloved brethren. Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That's my charge to you guys. You who are saved this day. Know this. Beloved brethren. Be steadfast and movable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Why? 
I'm waiting for a resurrected body. Okay? That's what I'm waiting on. Until that time, I'll toil. Steadfast. Unmovable. Okay? I hope you guys are all standing shoulder to shoulder with me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. He is alive. He is alive. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We have power over sin now. Thanks be to God who has given us this victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday, time with family and loved ones, time of eating, Father, may we long and understand that the the perishable must put on the imperishable, that the mortal must put on immortality. May that be a longing of each of us. Father, may we, who are called by your name, long for the day that our faith and our hope is totally fulfilled before us and all we can exist in from ever and ever and ever is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the saints. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen.